This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Today for our teaching time, we are going to go back over the Romans passage. Romans 5, 12 through 19. Now, truthfully, 12 through 19 makes more sense if we go back and take a look at verse 10. Now, it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, verse 10 tells us something that we don't like wrestling with, for the most part. We don't like it if we have to think that we were enemies of God. Right? But Paul says, again, in Ephesians, that we were what? What did he say there? Because I know I've used that verse numerous times. We were children of wrath, and we were enemies of God. Now, this passage should actually be somewhat encouraging to all of us. You say, well, yeah, right. I mean, it says I'm an enemy of God, and I'm supposed to be encouraged by that. Think about it. This passage tells us basically how far the Lord has brought us along the road in our path and in our relationship with Him. Because if at one point we were children of wrath and enemies of God, if we're no longer an enemy of God, that's good, right? That's good, right? There we go. Okay. Now, so we look now at verse, well, let me go back here a second and say that we're going to take a passage from R.C. Sproul who talks about this passage. He said that there's almost a universal repudiation of the idea that human beings have a natural enmity toward God. I can think of nothing that provokes more anger from unbelievers than when we tell them they hate God. They deny it emphatically. Well, I might be indifferent to God, but I don't hate God, they say. However, if people are indifferent to the Lord God Almighty, the one who created them and has given them every blessing they receive, what is that except hatred? We do not sense the weight of our natural hostility towards God, and we do not realize how far away from Him we were at one point. The New Testament speaks about reconciliation because reconciliation for God is so greatly and earnestly needed. We were estranged from Him, And not only were we at enmity with God, but God was at enmity with us. God is the natural enemy of corrupt sinners. But there is a love that God displays to creatures indiscriminately. But at the same time, the scripture is replete with descriptive terms that tell us how God's face is set steadfastly against the wicked because he is too holy to even look at us. So great is that gulf of estrangement. Now, continuing on that, 
David Guzik wrote that the apostle grieves at how sin has been dominant, been a dominant tyrant over all creation ever since our first parents stumbled into it. It exercised an insidious control over every one of Adam and Eve's descendants. Sin, in fact, controlled even those who did not sin by breaking a command because God had not yet given the commandments. Sin was, in other words, abundant in its control of every one of our first parents' descendants. Now, have we ever wondered why, since Eve was tempted first, the burden of all of our sin rests on Adam? Why is that? What's that? That's good. Man is supposed to be responsible, but in this way, though, Adam had already been given the instruction about if you eat that tree, the fruit of that tree, you're going to die. And Eve had not. So Adam was the one who knew better, but gave in anyway. Eve just gave in. Okay? So now Adam is guilty because he knew better and he did nothing. And not only that, he went along with it. You know, he said, oh, give me some of that. You know, and he chomped, chomped on that fruit and then, you know, I don't know if it was a thunder or lightning or anything like that, but suddenly things changed radically. Now, so Paul regarded Genesis 3 as being true. Jesus did too, because in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, he mentions Adam and Eve and the fall. Now, all of humanity existed at first in Adam. So Adam's sin brought sin into the world. Now, in the Greek it means sin passed from Adam to the world, and there are two ways, because Adam sinned, we all sin, and Adam's sin became our sin. You say, well, that's not fair. I'm getting blamed for something I didn't do. But Adam is the representative of all of the human race. And because he took the bait and didn't know when to keep quiet and keep his mouth shut, he fell into sin, and he brought sin onto all of us. Now, the word then is, in verse 13, it says, imputed. That means the sin is imputed to us. Now, what that means is it's charged to our account. How many people know what happens if you take out your credit card and use your plastic money and you have something charged to your account? What eventually has to happen? Yeah, you got to pay the bill, right? So if it's charged to your account, you got to pay it. But guess what? That sin was too heavy a price for us to pay. And the father knew that. He sent his son because he knew that was a debt that was too big for us to pay. Nevertheless, it says in the passage, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was 
to come. Now, one of the things this passage accomplishes for us is that it explains for us and makes us aware of how bad off we really were and how seriously God takes sin. So now we sit there and say, yeah, we know God takes sin seriously. But do we really? Do we really realize how sin wreaks havoc on us and brings death to everything it touches? And so we need to really have a sense of appreciation for the fact that God, while hating sin, loved his creation enough to give us something that would remedy that situation. So we need to have a real grip on the reality that we are all sinners and separated from God. And as Paul makes clear, whether we like it or not, we were enemies of God and children of wrath, but now we are no longer. See, because in verse 15, if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. When the gift of grace was given, that also took hold and gave us a blessing. Tim Keller writes about this particular part of the passage. This teaching sounds strange. In fact, it sounds repugnant to modern Western ears. Why? Because we are highly individualistic. In the West, each man is an island, interconnected, but rising or falling, succeeding or failing according to our own actions and decisions and abilities. We see humanity is made up of as many autonomous units as there are people. The Bible takes a radically different approach, that of human solidarity. People of other centuries and cultures have been and are better at accepting this truth. Many other cultures accept the idea that the individual is part of the whole family, tribe or clan, and not a whole in and of himself or herself. The idea of solidarity is that you can have a legitimate relationship with a person so that whatever that person achieves or loses, you achieve or lose. This is the concept of a representative. A representative involves those they represent in the fruits of his or her action for good or for ill. In philosophy and theology, this has often been called federal headship. The word federal comes from the Latin fotus or covenant. A federal head is a person who, through a covenant relationship, represents or stands in for someone else. In the East today and around the world in former times, it is considered legitimate for some people to have this relationship to you, either by birth or assignment. But in the Western world, we only recognize the legitimacy of such a person if we voluntarily choose to be in that relationship. In verse 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in 
justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us justification. It means we are declared not guilty. A number of years ago, I remember preaching on the difference between innocent and not guilty. And so there's a difference between being innocent. Guess what? There's nobody who's innocent. Nobody. Nobody is innocent. We are just, in this case now, not guilty of sin because Jesus paid that price for us. Again, from 18 and 19, we all got sin from Adam. But guess what? We get life from Jesus. And that is the life-changing truth we need to apprehend and hold on to this morning. Knowing that because of Christ, we have life. Because of Christ, we are free from the sin. Jesus came along and as we talked about earlier, that sin being charged to our account, Jesus paid the bill for us because it was too big of an amount for us to pay. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.Podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living.